welcome. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. And our scripture reading is from the book of 2 Samuel. It's there printed in your bulletin. Our story actually expands from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 18. It is a long and a beautiful saga. There's a fascinating cast of characters, many of which appear nowhere else in the Holy Scriptures. All kinds of coming and going and intrigue and just an incredible passage. I wish we had time just to dwell on it for maybe a semester, but we don't. We read 13 to 18. I'm going to read the portion there that's our text for today, beginning in chapter 15. Absalom was David's son, one of many sons that David had. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, David's counselor, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And then over to chapter 18. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss was great, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword and finally, the end of chapter 18. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for you, my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 
The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our story today is about a boy and his father. The boy is Absalom. The father is King David. King David had several wives. He had many sons and daughters. One of his sons, by a, the princess of Geshur, was Absalom. The Bible says Absalom was a fine young man, as beautiful as a man can be, had a beautiful head of hair, which is enviable as you get to be a little older and you see hair disappearing. He had even a more beautiful sister, Tamar. I don't know how beautiful this princess of Geshur was, but the Bible says David was a comely man. He was a handsome man. He was an attractive man. But evidently, the mother of these two children, Tamar and Absalom, was a stunner. Because she produced two of the most beautiful creatures that ever been in Israel. And that's part of the story. Absalom is a lot like his father. A whole lot like his father. He's attractive. He's personable. He is, the Bible says, and bear this in mind when we come to the end of this sermon in an hour or two, he was without blemish. That's what the Scripture says about Absalom. He was without blemish. He was strong, but he was also moody. He was emotional. He had a lot of the traits that had been passed on down to him by his father. David had several sons, many in fact, but he had favorites. And one of his favorite was Absalom. There's no question Absalom was among David's favorite sons. But this is the story of Absalom. And let me tell it to you briefly. Absalom's beautiful sister Tamar was looked upon and lusted after by one of their half-brothers, Amnon. Amnon was the third son of David. And Amnon just could not get out of his sight the attractiveness of his half-sister. He too was a lot like his father in that regard. But it overwhelmed him to the fact that he schemed and plotted to one day get her isolated and he took her and raped her. This incestuous rape infuriated everybody that heard about it. But it especially infuriated Tamar's brother, Absalom. And Absalom knew then he would become the avenger of blood. He would get justice for the disgrace and the harm that Amnon had caused his sister Tamar. When King David found about it, out about it, he minimized it. He ignored it. He did not bring the punishment down upon Amnon that Amnon deserved. And Absalom then began to see flaws, shortcomings, sins, inadequacies in his father, David. Two years pass. Absalom made no hint whatever that he was going to do anything about it. But one day he threw a giant 
beer bust. Literally, that's what it was. It was a drunken party that they had when they had finished shearing the sheep. It was a celebration. And Absalom went to King David and said, I want you to come and I want all of your sons to come. We're going to have a large gathering and a big party out at my sheep ranch. David didn't come. David pushed the son to arm's length and said, sounds like you're going to have a good time. I'm going to make sure that all the other boys go. It's going to be great, but I'm not going to be there. At that great bash out at the sheep ranch, Absalom plotted to have Amnon killed. Two years of festering anger toward his brother and finally like Cain toward his brother Abel, Absalom committed this act. He's now the avenger of blood. He's now a fugitive. He runs back to his hometown or his, his mother's hometown of Geshur. He stays there three years in hiding. Joab, David's friend, relative, and general, wants to bring him back. Joab likes Absalom. In fact, almost everybody does. And he seeks to bring him to Jerusalem. And, and uh, it took a long time because Absalom feared the king. But finally, the king consented to Absalom. As Absalom pulls, you've got to read that chapter where there's this incredible story of how he hires this actress to come in and to put on this show and this charade and, and, and do everything she can to, con, to uh, show David that he was uh, needing to do something about Absalom. And he brings Absalom back to the city of Jerusalem. And there, Absalom is not allowed to go to the palace. One more time, King David keeps his distance. You get the feeling as you read it that David loved Absalom and he didn't know what to do about it. On the one hand, he loved his son and really probably thought of him as maybe the heir to the throne. But at the same time, he knew he had committed this awful act and was avenger of blood. And that act needed to be dealt with in David's justice system. And David's justice system had always been pretty good, but it was lenient and it was a little bit slack when he came to dealing with his own sons. Shades of Samuel, shades of Eli. Shades of many men in our culture. Let them not have the exactation of the royal law of God that brings with it justice and mercy as well. Absalom feels slighted. And for two years, he lives in Jerusalem, but never comes to see David, never was invited to. He asked Joab, said, set up a meeting with dad so that I can reconcile, so I can have some kind of affirmation, so I can get to my father and develop some kind of communication. Joab won't listen to him. Joab ignores him. Absalom sends his men out and sets Joab's barley fields on fire. Shades of Samson <laughs> got his attention then. Joab said, what is the problem? He said, well, I need to see my father. And so Joab does everything he can to get an arrangement for the meeting, and it does. And it's a tender moment. Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom, the last verse of Chapter 14. But it was awkward. 
It was perfunctory. It was formal. It was king and subject. It was not father and son. And the scripture says, four years passed by. Now we're at a total of 11 years since the death of Tamar. 11 years, Absalom's heart had begun become harder. His murderous instinct had worked its way to the front. His resentment toward his father. And he begins to show the shortcomings in his father. He exposes David's lack of justice. He said, oh, that there was a king and would designate a man to be a judge in Israel. So Absalom himself took on all the pomp and circumstance. He was always concerned about outward appearances too. And he brought, as our text said, he got himself a chariot. He got 50 men to run before him. And he would get up early and he would go to the gate and he would meet men coming in from various parts of the, the kingdom and he would talk with them and he would, he would befriend them and he would flatter them. And he did everything he could to say, well, if I just wish that I were, were designated a judge, I would hear your case. And from what I hear about your case, you're in the right. And by this and other means, I'm sure the Scripture says Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And this word for stole means it wasn't just he charmed them. He actually deceived them into thinking someone that he was someone that he was not. And as time went by, he began to build up a group of men, a group of the leaders there in Jerusalem. And finally, the time had come after four years of that kind of thing where Absalom felt like he had sufficient popular support to have himself crowned king. So he asked permission from the king to go to Hebron. You remember it was at Hebron that David had been crowned king of Judah. And it was at Hebron where the men of Israel, the other ten tribes, came and said they would adopt David and and, and ratify David as their king. This was a very significant place. And he went there under the pretense of offering a sacrifice. There was a high hill and a holy place at Hebron. We know that. But my goodness, he was leaving Jerusalem where David had the Ark of the Covenant and had set up the tent and all of the things there. There's the place to worship the true God. But he he sought the alternative. He went to Hebron. and, And the real point of Absalom's mission at Hebron was to there sound the trumpet and to gather and to rally all the men of Israel that he had befriended over four years and move those clans and move those tribes uh, under his uh, jurisdiction. And he claimed the kingship. He ordered that the sound of the trumpet would say, Absalom is king at Hebron. And the Bible says that the conspiracy grew and the people with Absalom kept Increasing, And the word comes to David that this is happening. And when he realizes he had, that Absalom had amassed a pretty good army, David flees Jerusalem. And the whole chapter is concerned with David's flight from Jerusalem. But let me just summarize it. David's flight from Jerusalem was not only a geographical trek, but it was a spiritual pilgrimage. David didn't put up a fight. He could have fortified Jerusalem and brought his men in and defended the fortress city of Zion. But he didn't do it because David's heart was weighted down with so much guilt and he was hearing in his ear the prophecy of Nathan which had said the sword would come to your house. He heard the prophecy of Nathan and said, I will take your wives and give them to your neighbor. And lo and behold, David gathers up the people that support him. 
a large number of people, his family and others, and they leave the city of Jerusalem and walk out to the edge of the Kidron Valley, which is the city limits of Jerusalem. They're going out toward the south and the east, and as they, south and the west, and as they move on out toward the, uh, the uh, Jordan River, a lot of things happen. I wish I had time, but David is met by six different people. Three of them are loyal and wonderful and supportive. Three of them are harmful and they curse him and they try to manipulate him and they do all sorts of things. But David flees, but the whole time he's fleeing, the Bible says he's nothing on his head, nothing on his feet. He's weary, he's exhausted, he's weeping. He is in penitential mourning for his sins. For he has seen all that has come to pass because of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Be sure your sin will find you out. And David realized that he could see that God was bringing down upon him, even though he was God's chosen king, God was bringing down on him the chastening of the Lord, and it was severe. It wasn't long as he would move further out toward the Jordan River, toward the fords of the Jordan. He would hear the news that Absalom had come to Jerusalem. He had taken over. He had gotten advice. What can I do? Well, the one thing you can do, he was advised by a betrayer, a man who had been David's closest and most reliable advisor, now had moved over and was working for Absalom. He was a betrayer. By the way, he suffered the same fate as did Judas, the betrayer. This man advised Absalom says, here's what you do. Go out and, and, and take in the concubines that David left behind. He left ten behind in, to keep the house. Go into those women and have relations with them. And that way you make yourself a stench in David's eyes. And all the people know you really are in rebellion against your father. So they go out and it's a rush and they're moving and David is exhausted and, and he is helped by some people along the way with the large group that he has. But meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, Absalom is planning his attack and he brings in his best advisor and the advisor says, you need to go right now. Get the army and go right now. I will lead them myself, said the advisor. And I will go and we will strike David. Sounded like a good idea, but Absalom sought another advisor. One of David's friends is what the Scripture calls him. And he had worked his way back into the palace And he was called on because his accuracy record for prophecy and advice was a pretty high batting average. They called him in and he gave the advice, no, don't go after David now because you know David. Absalom, you know your father. He's a warrior. He's got men with him that are warriors. They will smite you. And you will not have a chance against him. They're guerrilla fighters. Besides that, you go in and jump on his army. David won't even be there. He'll be somewhere else hiding in the bottom of a well and you won't find him. So wait And Absalom took that advice. And while he waited, David refreshed himself, got on the other side of the Jordan River, gathered more men to him and built up his army, built up his resistance, so that when finally Absalom did attack and did go after David, he did so in great strength. But here's what had happened. During that period of time, David and his men had become pretty well acquainted with the intelligence of how they were fighting and where they were fighting and what they were going to do because they had spies through the priesthood, the sons 
of Zadok and Abiathar, the priest. And they knew what was going to... And David then was able to select the battlefield. Instead of it being over there on the, on the east side of the Jordan, it was on the west side of the Jordan, the land of Ephraim, and it was in the forest of Ephraim. And when Absalom's soldiers, great army, came to attack, they got into this rough terrain, this, this, this land that was that was uneven and hilly and, and forest and vines and craggly. And, and the Bible says that the, that the forest took as many men as the sword of David did. And David's men prevailed. And in the battle, Absalom, who had led the charge, got caught in a tree. No doubt he's going at a gallop, and as he came up, his head and his neck, and even some have speculated that maybe his great head of hair caught in the thicket. And so he hung suspended between heaven and earth. And his mule, all of David's sons rode mules, ran out from under him. And he hung there. And David's men, who at that point he had three a group of soldiers together, and this one happened to be the group led by Joab, they saw Absalom hanging there, still alive. And Absalom didn't wait for proper weaponry. He took stakes wooden stakes perhaps, maybe some metal with them, and just drove it into the body. The bleeding body of Absalom was standing there still alive. But Absalom didn't finish it. I mean, Joab didn't finish him off because he, he knew that he didn't want to be the one to kill the son. Because before they'd gone out to battle, David had said, deal gently with my son. He says, with the boy, Absalom. Here's a man up in rebellion, probably 30 plus years old, man in his strength, and his daddy still sees him as a little eight-year-old boy. The tenderness, the forgiving heart. But, Joab calls his men, and his men finish Absalom off. Run him through with javelins. They take him down off that tree, and they throw him in a pit, and they pile the stones upon him. And then the word comes back to David. It's an interesting story. Two messengers kind of racing each other down the Jordan River Valley to get back to David to bring the news that Absalom was dead. And the, but the good news was that the war was won. David's men had won. The kingdom was saved. The rebel had been put down. But it was a broken-hearted David that heard the news because he knew not only had this been something that had gotten completely out of control and it had started years ago with his sin, and it was not just the sorrow and the grief for the loss of what probably was his favorite son, but it was the grief and the sorrow of knowing his sin had finally caught up with him. We see in this chapter, if we look at it, we see intrigue, we see murder, we see deception, we see incest, we see rape. We just see about every catalog listed sin you can possibly imagine before the Lord. It is a wretched passage full of life lessons and character studies and all the things. I encourage you to read this section, chapters 13 to 15, on your own as soon as you can and sort of see for yourself. I've left out so much of the story. But let me say one thing before I'm done. There's a little picture. There's a little picture in this, in this story. And that's the scene of Absalom hanging on a tree. The Bible says, curse is the man that hangs on the tree. And Absalom for his sin, for his rebellion, 
for his touching God's anointed, for his going against God's elect, his own father, he had fallen under the curse and he was hung on a tree. And let me tell you what they did to men that, that hung on a tree and that fell under the curse. Achan back in the Old Testament book of the five kings in the book of, of Joshua and, 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 and then again in Judges, over and over in the Bible, anyone that fell under the curse was thrown into a pit. We see in Absalom the curse, the death of the rebellious son. Jesus died the curse of the rebellious son. He did not deserve it. Jesus was indeed without spot and without blemish, the Lamb of God. But He hung on that tree under the stipulation of Deuteronomy 21 of a curse. Paul says He became a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The spotlight is upon Absalom. This is what happens to the rebellious son. And rightly so in the case of Absalom. Justice was certainly served. The rebel had been put down. But it's a picture of the death of the rebellious son. That's a death that we deserve. We are that rebellious child. We have found fault with God. We have found that God was not as just and God was not as fair and God was not as good as we thought He was. Just like Absalom found fault with his dad and perhaps there was some truth to that. But we have emotionally isolated ourselves from our Heavenly Father. And we are worse than that. We are alienated and rebels in His kingdom. But He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die the death of the rebel so that we don't have to. He that is without blemish died the death of the rebel in our place, on our behalf. We're talking now of Christ, not of Absalom anymore. We're talking about the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us that He might redeem to Himself a people. Redemption. Restoration. Rebuilding. Recovery. The new start. The new life. The new creation is all in Christ. And He has taken our sin, fallen under the curse of the law for us. Will you not trust Him? Will you not come to Him? Will you not take Him as He has offered to you in the Gospel? Freely come for complete forgiveness of sins. Take a lesson from the rebels and the others in Scripture that met their doom. They were cast into the pit. Jesus was put into the pit. He descended into hell, our confession says, for us. He took all, every ounce of that punishment on our behalf so that we ourselves do not, do not have to bear it. Hallelujah.